Good morning and welcome. Welcome Spring Meadows Church. Welcome to worship. Welcome those of you who are sitting in our sanctuary. Welcome to those who might be watching online. We hope that soon you'll join us here in the sanctuary, but until then we hope that you can experience um, God's presence. This morning I have several announcements. If my iPad will cooperate, give me one second, I'm sorry. It has just gone blank. Well, I'm just going to have to go off the cuff, and that's always dangerous when you give a pastor a microphone. So I have a few announcements, the first of which is VBS is happening this summer. Praise the Lord. Last summer, I got here in time to do a drive-by VBS, and that was fun, and it was different, but this year we're doing it back to normal, as normal as we can with masks and some social distancing and some precautions, but I'm just thrilled that I get to see what Spring Meadows VBS really is. And so I hope for any of you that have children, if you can, you can, if you'd like to, you can sign up online. At the welcome desk, there is flyers that have a QR code, and just take a picture of that before you leave today, and you can do the rest at home. Or if you're receiving our newsletter, you can... Um, click on the link there, or you can go to our website. So go ahead and pre-register. We're expecting large numbers for our VBS this year, and we really would like for our church family to be able to get to experience that. Also, for those who might want to volunteer, go ahead and click on the volunteer part of the registration as well. We always need all of you, church family, uh, to participate and help us pull that kind of event off. And I know Heather Landers will love it to see our volunteer list grow. Another announcement is that this evening at um, Ponce Inlet, I believe is the actual beach location, we are having a young adult Vespers. And so if you are a young adult and would like to come out, we will start handing out watermelon about six o'clock and we will have a worship at seven. So for those of you young adults, this is an event for you. Please come and join the crew there. A few other announcements. Many of our ministries have started up again. And I see Kathy sitting here. The quilting ministry has started up. So if you are a quilter, come and join this amazing crew of men and women every Monday morning. Is it 10? It's 10. 10 o'clock in our fellowship hall. These wonderful uh, like I said, men and women that prepare these quilts that end up being beautiful gifts to our church family, whether it's a family in need or a family having a baby, uh, these prayer quilts are made here. Our Wednesday night Bible studies, I'm sorry, prayer meeting is happening as well. And so as we are resuming many of our activities, our Sabbath schools are happening in person. I have to tell you a secret. It has been hard getting up earlier. Used to get up early on Sabbath morning always, but it's been so long, and I feel for those families that come rushing into Sabbath school, and they're coming in late. Just know we all are experiencing God's grace. We're just glad that you're here. We're glad you made it. We're glad you're in, in our church building and worshiping with us. So 
yes, keep trying to be on time, but we're just glad you're here and we're excited about that. And if you are still uh, not able to come and join us, you can join Sabbath Schools via Zoom, and that's also in our newsletter. I feel like there was one other announcement. Am I forgetting something, Pastor Brian? Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> see what happens when you give a pastor a microphone? Um, we're needing more deacons. And as many of them have either come back or um, are not able to come back, we could use more hands. And I know that some of you are sitting there and saying, you know, I just don't know my place uh, in this church. It's a large church, and they don't need me. This is a wrong pretense. Please know that the body of Christ needs every member. And so we invite you, we ask you to prayerfully consider how and in which ways you can be serving um, here. And we're thrilled to have you in whatever role and capacity you are willing to. So just reach out to any of us pastors or the deacons and let them know, hey, I'm ready to do something and we'll get you plugged in. At this time, let us start our morning off with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Father in heaven, we come into your presence with singing. We come into your presence rejoicing that you are our God. We come into your presence in this sanctuary, thanking you for Jesus, thanking you for the resurrection, and thanking you, Father, for the many blessings you continue to give us. Lord, may we encounter you today. May we experience your grace and mercy. And Father, as we go about church today, may we be refreshed and renewed. In the name of Jesus, I pray. You know, I remembered one more thing as I was praising Jesus. I have to give you the biggest praise, church. Last weekend on Sunday, we had a little event here at the church. We had a Jerusalem experience. And I'm just so grateful. As I look around, I see many people, even young people, that came out and helped us to have this event. My gratitude is so big, I don't have enough words to you, church family. I think that our numbers were somewhere between six to 700, but Valerie, who sat at our registration booth, says she thinks we had 1,000 people come. Praise the Lord. People came to learn about Jesus. Yes, let's go ahead and clap. We're giving God the glory, absolutely. All glory be to his name. And I'm just thrilled that you, church family, um, embraced this vision and were able to come and support. I, and I'm, I have to tell you, the majority of the people that came were not from our church, meaning the community. Whether they were Adventists or not, it didn't matter. We were going to tell them about Jesus. And so I'm just thrilled that we were able to have such a success and I just praise God because I know it was his doing. So thank you, church family. Keep tuned because we're going to keep doing these kinds of things where we can talk about Jesus. All right, Gold family, we're thrilled you're here. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole in his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the wind and the rain in his hands. He's got the wind and the rain in his hands. He's got the wind and the rain in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. 
he's got everybody here in his hands he's got everybody here in his hands he's got the whole world in his hands Please join us in singing our first song, I Love to Tell the Story.
Morning, church family. A couple of years ago, uh, I was attending camp meeting at the Carolina Conference, and Pastor Bob Falkenberg Jr. was having the Sabbath service, and he gave good news: salvation is free. Discipleship will cost you everything. If you think about that, there's a lot of truth to that statement. God makes it so easy for salvation, but then following him and being a true disciple of Christ, it will cost you everything. But the joy of that is God never leaves us stranded. He gives us hope and encouragement. If you look at Proverbs 3, verses verses 5 and 6 today, the chapter is titled Guidance for the Young. Well, most people, no matter what age they are, they claim to still be young. So we can apply it to ourselves. Proverbs 3, chapters 5, verses 6, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. I can tell you this, it doesn't matter what age you are, because I'm speaking from my own personal testimony here. For some reason, I want to fight Christ on that issue every day. And it's not until after I get started that I learn that I took my eyes off Christ and got focused on my own ways that I had to fall flat on my face before I realized trust in God and he will lead and guide us and get us to victory. So as Pastor Brian this morning brings us the message, he's going to provide more information on guidance that will help us in our walk with Christ. At this time, let's kneel as we go before our Lord and Savior and have our morning prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for bringing us here this morning that we might be able to worship you. You've given us the breath of life. You've given us a beautiful Sabbath morning, Lord, to remind us of how great and how wonderful you are. Lord, we know with you, you will lead us and guide us and you will take care of our problems, our challenges, and any battles that may come our way. We thank you, Lord, for all the joys and the victories you've already given us this past week and you have in store for us in the week to come. Help us to keep our eyes on you, Lord, as we know time is coming soon to when you will be returning to take us home, Lord. Help us not to give up the faith, but walk diligently every day, Lord, representing you with a smile on our face and our hearts, singing with joy because, Lord, you've won the battle. And it's only a matter of time till you take us home with you. We thank you, Lord, and we thank you most for your love, your mercy, and your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.
Shake, all now we see. 
This next song that we're going to sing is actually based off of Psalm 23. It's called uh, Surely Goodness. It's probably a new song for most of you, but it's pretty catchy, so... <laughs>
God said, amen. We have an amazing God, don't we? God who loves us, a God who shepherds us and leads us. We praise God for his love and his grace, his leading in our life, which is what we're talking about today. There was a, a woman who walked into a church one morning, and as she walked in, she was greeted by a deacon, just like many of you were greeted by this morning or a deaconess. And the deacon said, where would you like to sit? And she said, well, I'd like to sit right in the very front of the church. And so he said to her, well, he says, you might want to think twice about that. He said, you know, the pastor of our church, I'm going to be honest, he's very boring. As a matter of fact, you sit up front, you might fall asleep. And this lady looked at this deacon and she was angry. She said, do you know who I am? He goes, No. She said, I'm the mother of the pastor. The deacon looked right back at her and said, do you know who I am? And she said, no. And he said, good. And he ran out the church and took off and went home. (laughs) Have you ever said something or done something you wish you could take back? Or made a decision that looking back, you wish you could have just done the opposite? Many times in our life, We're faced with decisions. It's been said that our life is the summation of our decisions. As Christians, we take this seriously because we believe that we serve an awesome, amazing, omnipotent God who loves us, who has a plan for our life, who has a purpose for us. And so as Christians, we have this weight on our shoulders and our hearts where we want to follow God's plan. And we are always afraid many times of being outside of God's will and making decisions. Many of you have come here today in the midst of life-changing decisions in your life. Maybe you've come here today with a decision on a relationship. Maybe it's searching for that person that you want to be with the rest of your life. Maybe some of you have come here today on the cusp of a, of a life-changing decision with your job. Maybe a change of career. Maybe you're facing decisions based on health difficulties that you're having. And maybe some of us have come here battling something, maybe an addiction, and deciding whether we need to go find help. We've come here, maybe not with decisions that seem so earth-shattering, but all of us every day are faced with decisions. The question is, how do we approach the times in our life when we're called to make decisions? decisions, especially the ones that are life-altering. You know, I remember, and I shared this story before, but I just thought I need to share it again today because it fits so well with this topic. When I was in Southern, I had received a, four different calls. At that time, that was not uncommon for different conferences. And there was a weight on my heart at that point as I was graduating, as my senior year, 
and I was wondering where God wanted me to go pastor. Miriam and I weren't married yet. We were going to get married a few months later. So many things were changing. Life was changing. Where was God wanting us to go? That was the heaviest. I was losing sleep at night, wondering, God, where do you want me to go? I have these four options. Sometimes you wish there's just one because that narrows it down. But now there's four. God, what do you want me to do? If I, if I choose the wrong one, is it going to mess up my life? Ever been there? Where <laughs> you're faced with choices and you're like, what if I take the wrong road? And so in my naivety, I, I prayed. I was there in my dorm room one day and I said, Lord... I said, I don't know what to do. The time is coming. I have to decide. It's the end of the school year. I said, you know what? Whoever calls me next, that's where you want me to go. Whatever conference calls me, that's where I'm going. And I said this before. I kid you not. I got up off my knees and the phone rang. It was one of those moments like in the movies where you're like, no, no way. I was like, really? So it must be maybe Miriam calling me. So I picked up the phone. Yeah, we didn't have cell phones. It was actually an actual phone. And so I answered it, and it was Mike Cauley from the Pennsylvania Conference at that time. He says, Brian, he said, where are you at in your decision about coming to a conference, any conference? I said, well, Mike, I said, I'm coming to Pennsylvania. It's confirmed right now that God's calling us to go there. Looking back at my life, I wish every decision was so clear. But as I look at my life, even currently, God rarely works in that way. As a matter of fact, Decisions are made in much greater and broader ways, sometimes more uncertain ways, as we're facing these life-altering points and these intersections of our life. Today's theme we're talking about is guidance. How do we find God's guidance for our life? All of us need that on a daily basis, sometimes in the little things, sometimes in the big things. But how do we know we're in the midst of God's will as we approach this topic. Let's approach the throne of grace one more time and bow our heads together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, it is good to be here today. We are here because we love you. We're here because you're an awesome God. We're here to worship you. And Father, we now come before you through your word in this time of worship. As we see your grace, as we see your majesty and your goodness, your glory, Father, we worship you again. And I pray, Lord, that through this time of worship in your word that we be transformed in the process that we'd see Jesus, and that you'd be glorified. And we thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do we understand the will of God? I shared a little bit a few weeks ago. I told you we'd be coming back to this. And just a quick review. As we understand the will of God, what, what is God's will? What does that look like? What does it mean when the Bible talks about the will of God? There's a few different dynamics to God's will. And we learned a little bit last time or two times ago when I was speaking with you. The first one is God's sovereign will. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 will be the main text of this first section. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the beginning part says, Trust in the Lord, what's it say? With all your heart. Why should we trust God with all of our heart? It's very simple. Because God is an almighty, omnipotent, omnipresent God who loves us with an everlasting love. He is the sole person who is worthy to sit in the throne of the universe and rule. His lordship over all creation is unchallenged. It's not just about his place and his position, but it's also his person. 
And the revelation of that person through Jesus, we know that this is a God who loves us, and because of what he's done for us, we can trust him. And so when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, we're not trusting blindly in this tyrannical being who's somewhere seated there waiting for us to do something wrong. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. We trust God because of who he is, because of his heart. It's just like a parent. We trust our parents, hopefully, because we know their heart towards us. And we can trust God because we discern his heart towards us as well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We can trust his, his sovereign will. Another word for that is, is his decretive will, his decrees. This is what God has determined to be done, and the word in Greek is baloma. It's only used twice in the New Testament. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, Nebuchadnezzar talks about this, this type of, of will, this sovereignty. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth, this is after the seven years of insanity, are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And he says, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? God stands unchallenged. We cannot question what he's done because he does it because he is sovereign. He is the only one worthy to rule, to make decisions, and to perform his will in this universe and on this planet and in our lives. So God's sovereign will is what he wills to be done, which we cannot change. God will accomplish his plan, his will, regardless of what you and I do or do not do. That is his sovereign will. He's accomplished through history, despite imperfect humanity, the plan of salvation. And as sure as he has accomplished the cross of Calvary, the resurrection, the ascension into heaven, as sure as that has taken place, is as sure as he will accomplish the end game of him coming back to take us to heaven. We can trust that. His sovereign will will be accomplished no matter what you and I say or do. He will accomplish it. And we should say amen to that. God is faithful. He is consistent. Nothing can stop him. And so how does the sovereign will work into our decision-making? It would be helpful, except many times we don't understand God's sovereign will. Why is that? Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, says God, nor are my ways your ways. Says the Lord God, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Trying to discern God's will for our life by only looking at his sovereignty, his sovereign will, his overreaching plan is, is sometimes hard. There's things that happen we don't understand, which is why there's also God's revealed will. Proverbs 3, verse 5 again, it says in the beginning, trust in the Lord with all your heart because of his sovereignty, his lordship, and his love. But then it says, don't lean on your own, what? Understanding. Well, why shouldn't we lean on our own understanding? Hasn't God given us wisdom? Hasn't he given us a mind and a brain to work? What is wrong with us making decisions, seeking our own destiny? The Bible says something interesting. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says the heart is what? It says the heart is deceitful. <laughs> Above all things and beyond cure, it says, in other words, our hearts are sick. Sick beyond measure, the other versions say. Our hearts have an issue. We cannot trust our heart. And so when someone comes to you and says, you know what? I make my decisions based on what my heart's telling me. I follow my heart. 
That's not a good way to make decisions. According to what the Bible is telling us, following our heart can be a road to something apart from where God wants us to be and usually is. We cannot follow our heart alone and follow God's will for our life. God's will is greater than our hearts. And so God's revealed will is given because our hearts cannot be trusted. So God says, I have something I will share with you according to my character, according to my heart. It's his perceptive will. It's his prescription. When it says lean not on your own understanding, God says lean on my understanding, not your heart, but my heart. It's, this is used 60 times in the New Testament with the word thelema. And it means that which God desires to be done by us and in us, in others. It's God's divine precepts and principles for mankind to teach us how to live. It's God's revealed will through his word. It helps us in making moral decisions, how to live with each other, to to treat each other in relationship. It's God's moral bounds of how we should act based on his character of love. This helps in decision-making in the moral areas of our life that the Bible addresses in precept and principle, but it can be rejected, it can be ignored if we choose. And then finally, there's a third level of God's will, which is his individual will or his directive will. That comes down to us. You see, his sovereign will is his overreaching plan. His, his revealed will is his plan for everybody, but now he also has an individual will for you and I, his directive will. And that's why it says in Proverbs 3, verse 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, in all your decisions, acknowledge God. And the promise is this. Is that what? He will direct your path. Is that a great promise? If you acknowledge God, he's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to leave you alongside the road. He's going to lead you and guide you in your decisions in your life. He's going to perform his plan. He's going to fulfill his work in you. And he has a good plan according to the Bible. He has an amazing plan for our lives. In Psalms 32.8, we see that God shares something amazing with us. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. God says, I will direct you, not just you, but all of us. You see, each one of us have a a personal experience with God. I love what it says in Steps to Christ, page 100. I read this last time. It says, the relations between God and each soul are as distinct and full as though there were no other soul upon the earth to share his watch care, not another soul for whom he gave his beloved son. God's relationship with you is as specific as anybody else, but it is personal. It is unique. He knows you by name. He knows everything about you, yet he loves you. It's amazing, isn't it? He knows everything about you, and still he loves you and accepts you. And when you look in the mirror and we look at ourselves, we're not always very lovable. But God loves you despite yourself and myself. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, the call of Jeremiah. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, set you apart. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Later in Jeremiah chapter 29, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to what? 
prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. God has a will for our life and a good plan for our life. You know, there's some misunderstandings about discovering and accomplishing the will of God that we have to deal with first before we go any further. The first misunderstanding is that we can always use the same recipe to find God's will. You know, sometimes we, we find our niche, we, we do something that works, and then we think every time we do it, like a scientific method, we can expect the same results. But God is not like the scientific method. Because God is beyond that. God is, is not in the boundaries of what we think he should do or how we think he should act or respond to us. God works in his sovereign plan apart from us, even though he works within us and through us. He's not limited, he's not limited to us. God is working. But we cannot think we can find one recipe to find God's plan. There was a, a Simpsons episode some years back called Missionary Impossible. And it was the episode where, where Homer made a pledge of $10,000 to PBS, couldn't come through. The town almost kills him, but instead he runs into his church and he finds respite with his pastor. And so the pastor hides him in a duffel bag with other Bibles and that we're going to the mission field. And he sends him off on a ship to the mission field. Well, Homer ends up in an island in Micronesia. And as Homer always does, he messes everything up. He's there and he's doing everything wrong that a missionary would do. Leading people the wrong direction. Doing all the things that we've done through history that have not been good. Until finally, he says, you know, I'm going to build a chapel. And so to redeem himself, because all the mistakes he made, how much he messed up, he says, we're going to build a chapel. And so he builds a chapel, and he's standing there with the islanders there in this Micronesian island, and he looks at the chapel together as they're standing there. He goes, hey, he says, you know, I don't know a lot about God, but he says, we've built him an amazing cage, haven't we? You know, many times we, we turn our churches into a cage that we think we can hold God, that we can contain him kind of like a genie in the bottle, that we can prescribe to God what we think he should do and how he should do it. Every time we think we have a grasp on how God's going to respond or how we think he should, we're caging him in our hearts and minds. But God cannot be caged. He is everywhere. He is beyond us. He's a God who is infinite. And his ways, his ways are everlasting. Another misconception about God's will is that his will is simply anything within the moral guidelines of his word. And so many times we think, well, if the Bible says I can do it or, or it's within those boundaries, then that's God's will for my life. And typically that's true. But there are times that that is not true, that we have to recognize. In Romans chapter 14, Paul is talking to the people in Rome, the church in Rome, and he's talking about food, especially offered to idols, and how there's a big controversy about this. But Paul says to the church that we need to be careful on how we act because how we act affects other people. And so in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, in this context, he says, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. He says, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. In other words, there's a controversy between those who thought it was okay to eat this food, those who didn't. But he said, do not be condemned by what you approve. But here's what he says in verse 23. He says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. In other words, 
if a believer has doubts in his heart, is not of a clear conscience, it says he is condemned. Why? If this is something okay to do, why is there a condemnation? Here's what he says, because he does not eat from faith. Here's what the Bible says. He says, for whatever is not from faith is sin. Did you catch that? So in our lives, according to God's plan for us, according to his will, there are things that may be fooling the boundaries of what he says is, is permissible and what is morally right, but in his directive will for your life, he says, this is not my plan. This is not good. Because if we don't have peace or we don't have a clear conscience, if we're not doing it in faith without any doubt, then we are weakening our conscience. We are damaging our spiritual walk with God. And so just because it's good for, all right for somebody else does not mean it's good for you, even if it's something okay within God's boundaries. The third thing that is a misconception about God's will is that following God's will is always accompanied by material blessings and success. We think if we're just within God's will, within those bounds, that we're going to be blessed, that things are going to work out fine. And if that was the case, we'd have a hard time explaining the book of Hebrews where they have the hall of faith and the victories that we see in the prophets and those who are victorious for God. But then he turns the opposite direction and says, but others did not gain the victory here. Some were killed, some were drowned, some were sawed in two. Not looking at the earthly city, but looking forward to a heavenly city. We cannot equate success, peace, and comfort on this earth and this life with being in the bounds of God's will. Never mistake that. Because things are going well does not mean that we are in the midst of God's will. And fourthly, there's the misconception that if we miss God's will through a wrong decision, that there's no hope. God is the God of restoration. If you've missed an opportunity, if you've messed up taking the wrong road, maybe you were blind, maybe you weren't listening, maybe you just misunderstood, God is a God of restoration. The Bible says that he will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He will restore you. He will bless you. No matter what road you've taken in the past, you may have effects in your life. It may have consequences that are long-term, but he will restore you to himself. He'll restore you in his walk with him. And that's the only thing that matters. Amen? So if you come today with guilt and shame, burdened with a decision that you have made, cast it upon Jesus. He's big enough to handle it. And ask him to restore your heart and renew a right spirit within you. So how do we discern the will of God? Here's where the rubber meets the road. This is a very practical sermon, by the way, with deep spiritual implications. How do we discern the will of God? How do we find his guidance for our lives individually? We're going to frame this in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you'll turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The first and most important aspect of finding God's will is found in the first couple of verses here. So, so find it and let's read it carefully. Mark it in your Bible if you need to. This is of utmost importance. This is Paul talking to the church of Corinth. And he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. In other words, he says, They didn't come to you, to you with fluff, with fanfare. He says, I came with one simple thing. Verse 2. 
For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and what? Him crucified. You see, Paul didn't need the pyrotechnics. He didn't need the flashing lights. All he needed was Jesus. He says, I came to you with one thing and one thing only. I presented Jesus. I love what Paul says. As Paul exemplifies in his life here, as he's preaching through his life and his mission, Jesus was of preeminence, of of priority in his life. He was of the first place of everything and everything that Paul did. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul then describes this experience with Jesus. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the who? In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, it's one thing to experience Easter weekend. And praise God, it was a wonderful weekend. To remember what Christ has done on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. But it's another thing to be a week out from Easter and still be living in the reality of the resurrected Lord. Paul says it's not just a one day a year experience. He said, I experience this daily. He said, I'm crucified with Christ, and yet I live. On a daily basis, Paul says, I die daily. Paul says, I'm crucified daily. I take up my cross. It's not just about the surrender. That's the first and foremost, the most important part. But then there's the filling. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, looking down as we move down to verse 11. Paul says, For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. In other words, the spirit reveals to us the free gift of salvation, God's ways, his will, his goodness. Verse 13 says, These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which this Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. He says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. The natural man is the unbeliever. It's the one who does not believe in God. It's the atheist. It's the one who has rejected the reality and the thought that there is a God who exists. The natural man stands fully apart from the God of the universe. And he says, these things that God is revealing are foolishness to them. They cannot understand it. Why? He says in verse 15, uh, 14 again, nor can, be known, be known, nor can he know them because they are what? They are spiritually discerned. This is key, by the way, as we're moving forward in this, in this process. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What Paul is saying is, is that as believers, we have the Holy Spirit. It's not just about that daily surrender, but we need a daily filling. We need a daily surrender to the, to our, of ourselves to the cross, living a life in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, but then being filled with his Holy Spirit 
as he instills in us the mind of Jesus. Verse 3, we see a little further into this picture that Paul is talking about. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people. He's talking to a church that was not acting like spiritual people, people filled with the Holy Spirit. But as carnal, as babes in Christ, immature Christians, I fed you with milk, not with the solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are, and mark this, where there are, are what? Where there is envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men, like the natural man? Did you catch that? So within the body of Christ, if there is divisions, if there is bickering, envy, and strife among any of the body of Christ, we are not acting with the Holy Spirit. He says we're acting like mere men, the natural man apart from Christ. He says we cannot have the Spirit and act this way. But he says, you guys are just kind of like the disciples. You're acting carnally. Before, before Jesus was dead and resurrected, he says, I have many things to tell you, but you cannot handle them right now. You're not ready to receive them. God cannot reveal his will to us while we are carnally minded. We will not see it clearly. We will not be ready to understand what God wants to tell us, what he wants to show us, what he wants to do in us and through us. We need to be surrendered. We need to be emptied and filled. Spiritual things are what? Spiritually discerned. If we're still holding on to the parts of our life where we don't want to invite God in, then he's not going to force his way in and we'll miss out on what God fully wants to do in our life. So how do we find the will of God? First of all, by his grace and through his work in us, we obey and follow the thelemas, God's revealed will, his perceptive will, the moral principles of his kingdom. That's why these principles are surrounded by this principle of love, which is the character of God, the opposite of contention and strife. Instead, there's the, the, the values of sacrifice and service, of selflessness. That is the kingdom of God. That is the principles of, of the kingdom exemplified through Jesus. It is difficult to know God's will in the difficult areas if we are ignoring him in the clear ones. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. And that's a wonderful promise. Because it's not you and I trying to figure out God's will, trying to do what's good and right. The Bible says when we surrender ourselves to God on a daily basis, moment by moment, asking for the filling of his spirit, that then he will do something in us. He will work in our life, not just to have the right desires, but then empower us to accomplish those desires. It's a one-two punch that God has promised in our lives. We need to recognize that the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, that is working in our lives we need to be surrendered and filled, first of all, to discern the will of God. And we need, by the Holy Spirit's working in and through us, to follow God's will as he's working in our lives to will and to do those things which he's called us to do. The third thing in finding the will of God in our lives, our personal lives, our directive will, 
is to apply God's principles. You know, sometimes we're faced with a decision that is not specifically addressed in Scripture. What do we do then? You know, many times we think we can just look at the Bible and say, well, it says this, and that doesn't apply to me, that doesn't apply to this, so I'll just do what I want. It's not that simple. But God has given us principles in his word, not just policies, but principles to follow. He has given us all, all the things that are needed. The Bible says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means there's nothing in our life that we can face that God has not stated in the Bible, that, is not, that God has not addressed, whether in policy or principle. The Bible is God's roadmap for our life. I had a friend when I was at Andrews doing my, my master's degree, and we used to, I used to do construction on Fridays. His name was Jason. He was a backslidden Christian. He hadn't been uh, to church or really having a relationship with God for many years, but we'd talk about spiritual things. And he always liked to just challenge me on stuff. And he, I remember one time we were working, we became very close over those two and a half years. And one day Jason said, he said, Brian, he says, you know, he says, why, why do Christians have an issue with with, with smoking marijuana. I was like, okay, well, yeah, that's, that's pretty common across the board. And I, I, did, I've ha- I have had some members who come to me, not here, but other places, who've used it for medicinal purposes, and I don't judge. But in general, for recreational purposes, we know <laughs> that it's, it's not good. It's not part of God's plan for our life. And he says, well, why can we not do this? Because he says, remember in Genesis, the Bible says, and he, he'd used it to his... His own, uh, his own benefit, he says, it says we have every herb of the field to be used and to eat. I was like, oh man, I had to stop there for a second. <laughs> every herb of the field. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, well, how am I going to respond to this one? And I said, well, I said, you know, after sin, some of those herbs didn't remain the same. I said, in other words, if you saw poison ivy, you wouldn't go and eat that, would you? He was like, uh, probably not. I said, well, maybe the same principle. And he was, he was cool with that. <laughs> Although he tried to challenge me after that again and again. But anyway, it's the principle of God's word. Sometimes we don't always find the policy, but God has given us the principle in his word. You know, if we say that God is leading us to do something, and here, here's a key I want us to remember today as we're discerning and looking, seeking God's will for our life, his guidance if we say that God is leading us to do something that runs counter to his revealed will, then I would say that we can be 99.9% sure that we're missing something. (laughs) If we're saying, you know, God's really leading me to do this, but it's directly in contrary to something he said, this is not my will for you as my child, then we're probably not listening to him. We're listening maybe to our hearts. (laughs) We're following our hearts. If we're prompted Inwardly, it will not be apart from his word, but according to it. You know, as we, as we look at this, we also have to ask ourselves a couple questions. When we're faced with a decision, any decision, any major life-changing decision, I challenge you to ask three questions. And maybe this goes for the smaller ones too because they can all make differences in, for good or bad in our life. So ask the appropriate questions before major decisions. Number one, jot these down. What do I plan to do? Okay. Number one is, what is the action? What is the actual thing that you plan to do? What is that you want to do? What is the guidance you're looking for? For what? What is the action? You have to identify that first. Make sure you're clear what you want to see done. Secondly, ask the question, 
Why do I plan to do it? Fair enough? What do I plan to do? Secondly, why do I plan to do it? Because these have ramifications. It's not always what we want to do, but sometimes why we want to do it is just as important. It's always as important. Sometimes even more important because it identifies our motives. We can do the right thing for all the wrong reasons. And so ask the first two questions. What do I plan to do? Why do I plan to do it? And thirdly, how do I plan to do it? (laughs) That's important too. What do I plan to do? Why do I plan to do it? And then thirdly, how do I plan to do it? What are the means that you are planning to use to accomplish this in your life? It's a biblical concept because Jacob, he was promised the birthright. And so he was justified in saying, okay, God's promised me that I would be the one who would receive the blessing from my father, the birthright. And so I should seek it. And so what, what does he do? His, the action was right because God had declared it. He was going to seek the birthright. His motives were pure because he was following what God had declared as well. But then he goes and he finds his brother in a very vulnerable state of hunger. And he, me- he messes with him. And he kind of tricks him into to selling him the birthright for a bowl of lentils. He didn't do the right thing. And in doing so with that, and then tricking his father, he has to run. His life falls apart. It's always important to identify how we plan to do what it is we want to do. Larry Walters, also known as Lawn Chair Larry, on July 1st, 1982, took flight. He was, for 20 years, since he was just a boy, his dream was to fly. And so one day, 20 years later, after this dream began, from his girlfriend's yard, he takes a lawn chair, buys 40 weather balloons, fills them with helium, ties them to the lawn chair, and armed with a six-pack of beer, a pellet gun, and an altimeter, his plan was to take flight. And the whole plan was just to hover about 100 feet over the ground and just look at the scenery and experience what it was to be free and flying. His childhood dream. And so he fills the balloons, <laughs> ties them to the chair, pellet gun in hand, six-pack to his side. It's like a Je- Jeff Foxworthy story, I don't know. And he's there. And he says to his girlfriend, okay, un- untie the tether, just let it up. And it was supposed to kind of hold him at a certain height. Well, the force of these balloons were so strong that it tears the tether and Larry goes flying. So instead of going 100 feet in the air, he goes to 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, the whole way up very quickly to 16,000 feet <laughs> within a matter of minutes. And he's petrified because he's now in the, in the area where it was restricted airspace for LAX. And planes were seeing him flying by, and they're saying, we have a problem. <laughs> Calling mission control. There is a guy in a lawn chair with balloons floating around with a BB gun. And so he was so scared, he was heading towards the Pacific. He begins to shoot the balloons with his BB gun. Then he drops it. Luckily, he just shot enough for a slow descent. And he comes down, hits power lines, miraculously survives, and, and comes off unscathed. His dream was to fly. His motives were good, but he definitely didn't go about the right way to do it. It was illegal, first of all, and he could have killed him. Always ask the question, what do I plan to do? Why do I plan to do it? 
And how do I plan to do it? And apply the appropriate principles. And finally, we need to seek God's specific guidance. You know, sometimes we go through these steps and we still have no idea what to do. We're still indecisive. We still are seeking this peace from God, this audible voice maybe, maybe an indicator of some kind. Maybe we've explored these, these three different steps here and still we, we need more. If after exploring these things and we still do not have guidance on a particular issue or decision, there's a few other things we can do. Number one, and the principle is this, that he will guide us and remember this. He'll guide us if we are open to be led. We have to have an open heart once and surrender to him. Just a reminder. But then firstly, that God will communicate many times to us as we spend time with him in prayer and Bible study. I don't know if you experience this in your life, but as we take time in prayer and spend time in God's word, not just to talk to God, not just to tell him what we want, but to listen, God will communicate to us. He'll reveal things through his word that we had not seen before. He'll communicate his, word, his will in many different ways through this time of prayer, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. It is through the time of intimacy with God that he can also reveal his will. The inner witness of the Holy Spirit, number two. Acts chapter 16, Paul said he was held back by the Holy Spirit from going to a certain country. He was held back. And so we would not go. So many times in us, we need to rely as we're praying and as we're seeking God, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. If we don't have peace, if we have doubts, don't move ahead. Remember what Paul said. If we don't act in faith, we're actually apart from God's will. If we have doubts, don't move forward. That was Paul's message. Thirdly, Maybe there's outside circumstances. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says that God opened a door for ministry in a certain place, and Paul takes that door. Many times in our life, God will open a door or even close a door, indicating his plan and will for us. Seek godly counsel is also another way we can look at this. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, it says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, I say this with caution. Because many times we go to other people, first and foremost, and say, hey, what should I do? That's not the safest route. We need to seek God personally. We need to, to seek and pray with him and, and seek his face. And many times God might send someone our way to help reveal something to us. There's also many times that if we only rely on somebody else to tell us what to do, we'll be led astray because they don't understand what God is doing in your life. And they'll just tell you something that may be from their perspective for your own good. If you're going through this, you need to get out of there because it's, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's ruining your life. You need to quit that. You need to do, do this and that. Quit that job. Go over here. Where the whole time it might be God's plan for you to be right where you're at. That's only something God can tell you, not anybody else. Then there's common sense and past experience. God's given us a mind to use. You know, we have to be careful, though, about past experience. Uh, a few weeks back, and I've told this story to a few people, my family and I went to a, a Japanese restaurant. I'm not going to tell you which one. And we were, we were there to eat. And uh, some of the best Japanese food, I think, is in the area. And so we sit down to eat, and what we always get when we go there is the edamame, which is the Japanese word for soybeans, right? So if you've had that, they're delicious, they're salted, 
put them in your mouth, you just pull the, the beans out of the pod. Just amazing. And so we get this bowl of edamame. It's there, and Brandon and I, first of all, we, we jump in there, we grab a pod. And I, I noticed the pod was a little light, and so I was like, oh, okay. And here's where past experience comes in. See, my mom had a garden. And, and in that garden, she grew soybeans. And I remember when we, she would shell the soybeans, sometimes we'd come across a genetically challenged soybean that was either a, a tiny bean inside and sometimes even no bean. It was like a reject bean. So you just toss them to the side. It's like, well, this might be a, a tiny bean. So I put it in my mouth, nothing. I'm like, okay, so I reach for another one, light again. Is this a bowl of reject beans? I don't know. Put it in my mouth, Brandon does too, nothing. Miriam goes, hold on, stop. I was like, what? She goes, just don't touch another bean. She goes, she takes her hand, she shoves it in the bowl, and she grabs it with her hand. She goes, there's not a single bean in this bowl. I said, what do you mean? She goes, there's not a single bean in any of these pods. And so as we looked, sure enough, not a single pot of beans, and every pod had a hole in it. And then reality struck. That bowl of edamame was ABC'd. It had already been chewed by somebody else. (laughs) And Miriam and I, I mean, not Miriam, Brandon and I already had two in our mouth. I'm glad Miriam didn't because that would have been the end of everything. She she would not have been able to handle that, stomach-wise. We got a free meal out of it, free desserts, but the damage was already done. We cannot trust our past experience and what I thought I was an expert in soybeanery, growing in a garden. Sometimes we just need to use some common sense. But what if all indicators are mixed? And here's where we'll end. As we're seeking God's will, we're surrendered to him. We've asked him to fill us with his Holy Spirit as we've surrendered to him. We've gone through this process and we still don't have clarity. What should we do? The Bible says that we should wait. Don't move. We should wait before making any life-changing decisions. It's not a call to sit down and do nothing, but simply to continue in the current path that you are on until God changes it. Maybe God is calling you to remain where you're at, that you can flourish where he has planted you. And you might say, man, I don't feel like I'm flourishing. But if God has planted you there, and it's time for you to be where you're at right now, is here and now. For such a time as this, you can trust that he is with you. Even if things seem like they're falling apart, like it can't be his plan, it can't be his will, he is with you. Do not move. Do not leave. Stay the course. Because we experience God in the waiting. We are transformed in the wilderness. God is preparing you where you are at for something else. You might be in a place where you feel like nothing is going right, but God is doing something amazing. He's already working ahead. He's already working in you. He's preparing you. He's preparing a situation. Moses had to be in the wilderness for 40 years before God had him prepared to lead the children out of Israel, of Israel out of Egypt. Paul had to go to the wilderness before he joined the disciples group. Even Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit before his ministry. So what makes us think that we are too grand and great to have to go through the wilderness ourselves? 
Many times we might find ourselves there, but do not leave it. Don't run. God is working. Finally, remember two things. Number one, there are things that you don't need permission to do. Loving people and loving God. It's got to, you see an opportunity. Lavish the love of God. Share the love of Jesus with those around you. You don't need to ask God for permission for that. Secondly, keep your eyes on Jesus. See where he's working and join him in the work. And in doing so, we live a life of posture, of expectation, of what God is going to do. Where God is going to lead because of who he is. And always have an attitude of worship because it's through worship that God transforms us. It's through the time of worship in our hearts and through our lives that God reveals his will because we're putting him where he needs to be on the throne of our hearts and allowing him to be Lord of our heart. And so my challenge today is this, for myself and for all of us, is to surrender our hearts to God. Ask for his Holy Spirit. He's more willing to give his spirit than we are to even ask. He promises the spirit to those who ask. And finally, live a life of expectation that God is going to work, that he's going to accomplish his plan if we are open to it. If that's your desire, just raise your hand with me as we pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we've come here today with many of us heavy burdens, things that seem too big for us to handle because they are. Some of us have come with heavy hearts because of issues we're dealing with, things that require decisions that can be life-altering, have long-term consequences and ramifications in many different areas. And so, Father, we are, we're worried today. We're stressed. We're wondering what your plan is as we find ourselves in situations that don't seem like they're your plan because they're difficult. Maybe we're on the mountaintop, on the cusp of a valley. But Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen us for the valley ahead. Lord, I pray that through the risen Lord Jesus, that the power of the resurrection would be a reality in our hearts. That we would die daily, not just once, but daily. Daily take up the cross as you have said and follow you. Fully surrendered, fully filled with your spirit to discern the things that you want to do, the places you want to send us and accomplish in and through our lives. And so, Father, we rely on you, we look to you, we trust you, and we love you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your leading, for your guidance. Lord, we are standing on Jordan's stormy banks. Father, we are bound for the promised land. And Father, we pray that you would lead us across the troubled waters, guide us and direct us, walk with us through them. No matter what we're facing, we can face it with you. Thank you so much for your promises, for your provision, for your love and for your grace, which is all sufficient. As we leave this place, may we leave in your hope, in your strength, in the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and ask this all in his powerful and precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time. Love you guys. Bye-bye.